Let me give you a count. Yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll <laughs> dive in. How's that? We'll go ahead and dive in. If others come in, they'll catch up. But I'm glad you're here. My name is Tiffany Dahlman. Uh, I'm in North Carolina, where I'm a congregational minister. I'm the lead pastor at Courtyard Church of Christ. But I'm also employed through ACU, but they're wonderful online programs. So I can live in uh, North Carolina, but work for ACU Dallas as the program director for their online Bible and ministry degree. Um, I teach in that program as well, and, and we'll get into some of that a little bit. But uh, this is a situation that is dear to my heart from personal experience, and maybe that's true for you all while you're here as well. These sessions are 45 minutes, and that's never enough time. And in order to address a problem, it's going to sound very negative, Nancy, but I don't have time to put in all the positive fine print on everything. Um, we're just addressing a problem that exists. And then we're going to offer some solutions. At the end, I'll offer some and maybe we'll share some together. But uh, I titled this Leveling Leadership in an Elder Board Model. I'm just going to say, elders, you may call that leadership team in your church something different. Shepherding team, shepherding circle, leadership, elder board, whatever. I'm just going to go with elders. That's what we're talking about. And as I read this little subprint paragraph, some of you may think, oh, I know that. I know that experience all too well. Perhaps it's harmed you. Others of you may not connect to it at all. That's wonderful. God bless you. I hope you never experienced that. Uh, but we're going to encourage each other in here and see if we can come to some solutions. All right, how churches can overcome the dark side of the upside-down polity system common in churches of Christ so that ministers and elders can work mutually together and the formal training gap can dissolve without compromising either a plurality of leadership or the greater gifts. Hey, Cheryl. And that's kind of wordy, so we're going to break that down in, in what we're talking about. But like I said, for some of you, you will hear that and be like, yeah, I know exactly what she's talking about. I know this. Raise your hand if, that, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. If you are a minister, if you don't mind raising your hand so I know who's in the room, pulpit, children's associate, executive, great. Are there any elders, shepherds, leaders in the room? Wonderful. Okay. Okay. You are all things to all people. The crucial... Yeah, right next to the cornerstone, the, the right-hand stone of the cornerstone. Um, at its best, <clears throat> this structure we have in the churches of Christ is collaborative and kind. It is good and it is life-giving. Where we have an eldership team, more than one, because it's churches of Christ, right? And they are the, quote, authority. And then there is the hired, we'll say pulpit minister, ministerial team. It can work really, really well, and sometimes it doesn't work really, really well. At its worst, it's comparable to what we sometimes see in hospitals, but taken even further, where you have the hospital board, and usually in a hospital board, none of them are brain surgeons. None of them have been to medical school, right? And then one of these board members goes into the surgery theater where the doctor's performing brain surgery and says, you know, I think you should cut here instead. Like, I went to school for this. Yeah, I know, but I read Grey's Anatomy, and if you just read the book, that's all you need to know. And if you don't cut here, you're going to be fired. And that seems outrageous, but I think we've all seen it, like, really go that ridiculously bad sometimes. It, it's, it's just kind of mind-bending, the tension that can happen in this upside-down 
system that we have, but doesn't have to be so upside down. Um, let's get in, into a little bit details about what this, this gap looks like. Judah, can you change this slide? Within churches. Go ahead, click. Okay, so we have our elder boards. And usually, though not always, if you live in Abilene or, you know, I'm in North Carolina, so some of the elders at Cole Mill Church of Christ in Durham, they go to Duke Divinity. They teach at Duke Divinity. That, that's a rare situation, right? For most of our everyday normal churches like where I serve, your elders have no formal theological training. They might have, they might be a brain surgeon, right? Which is great. They might have MBAs. They may be mechanics. Awesome, wonderful things we need in the world but they don't have any formal biblical studies training. And then you have your ministers, go ahead, click them, who have all sorts of various letters behind their name. Um, a master's in youth ministry, children's ministry, DMDIF, maybe a DMIN, the MACM, all, all, all kinds of formal training from the undergraduate up to the graduate level. And here they are trying to work together in, in this system. And this wasn't really that common of a situation until the past couple decades, when more and more of our ministers began getting an MDiv, and in more and more of our churches, the MDiv became the standard, even in the churches of Christ like it was in denominations before. Um, I'm not old enough to know what this gap felt like back in the day. Saying John Mark might have that, that history, know what that was like. But I know that it's caused some tension now uh, that we have this problem. Not because you're aged, but because you're <laughs> knows our history and what that is. Um, go ahead, click. But how have you perhaps experienced, or how can you imagine, tension as a result of this formal training gap in our churches? I'll open it to you for a few minutes if you want to share how you've experienced it. Part of the tension, I think, is between the, di the difference between managing and on, on, the, on the board side, the right. elder side, they gotta manage, right? right? We, we wanna make sure we keep things in order, controlled. And then the visionary, the young visionary in ministry that comes along wants to, to grow and pursue. Uh -huh. And so I, I felt that tension uh, right. years ago. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's at least part of it. Yeah. Um, just to expound on what he said, the managing, um, going to micromanaging, mm -hmm. uh, um, kind of um, wanting to have, you know, their fingers on every, it, it feels like a lack of trust Okay. when there's the micromanaging. It feels like a lack of trust. I think in traditional Church of Christ, too, many of the elder types believe that their role is like a sheriff or a gatekeeper mm -hmm. to keep the cows in the pen just the right way. And then, so isn't it sort of irrelevant to have a PhD in ministry or anything, as long as you're a good shepherd and you make sure, uh, sheriff, and you make sure that the cows don't get out of the pen. Even sheriffing doctrine yeah, precisely as well, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as people. Anyone else have experience with this tension you want to share? Rex? It's authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. Top down. Yeah. And back row. I, I think also sometimes, and I think it's getting better. I really do. But I think that the elders that we've had in the past maybe were chosen more because they're successful businessmen. Right. Or they've done really well in their field of, of whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily what we were looking for as a shepherd. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, I, I'm seeing that getting better 
and our, and our churches being more discerning on, mm -hmm. yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a good lawyer, but does that make them a good chef? Yeah, and understanding corporate systems and family systems right. aren't quite the same thing, and right. churches really fall more into a family systems theory box than the corporate. While they're trying to do, what was the word you're talking about? Executive functioning, managing. Yeah, there is managing that needs to happen, but with a different framework, a different system. I mean, I, I, I don't fully understand why there's not, you know, more of an emphasis or an understanding on the requirements of what it what an elder should be, mm -hmm. biblical requirements, spiritual requirements. You know, we, we, we're good at defining, um, you know, all the roles of a pastor. Mm -hmm. What about an elder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wrote up there, though, PhDs in faith, hope, and love, right? I'm not here to throw elders under the bus. I pray and hope that you have the majority of your elders, if not all of them in your congregation, have PhDs in faith, hope, and love, those greater gifts. Because your ministers can have all kinds of letters behind their name. And if they're lacking in love, Paul wrote a lot about that, right? I mean, what's the point? So that matters. That matters a lot. Really, really, really matters. We don't want to discredit that. Um, okay, so, so what do we do here? Um, <coughs> Judah, go ahead. Let's talk about some solutions. I want to present two, not yet, babe, uh, two really hard ones. One really easy one and one practical one, and then we'll open it up. We'll see if we get that far to hear your ideas as well. But let's start with the two hard ones, because these first two have to do with a culture shift, a heart posture shift, and that can be really tough in established systems. Uh, but respect what the other one brings to the table. Truly get to that place where the ministers respect that incredible faith, hope, in love that comes with wisdom and maturity and experience and age. So this goes both ways, respecting both ways. Truly respect that, that that cannot be replaced with education. That wisdom, that life experience, that deep love for the people is irreplaceable. That matters. But also for the elders who don't have the formal education to respect that formal education. I know in my experience, I've, I've heard well, when you go to school to get a Bible degree, you're just going there and these teachers tell you what the Bible says. So you're just going to get brainwashed for four years on what the Bible says. So no, I don't respect that. And we kind of have the, this anti-intellectualism thing going on right now in some spaces as well. And I hear that creeping in in some of these conversations. But do any of you have an MDiv in here? That's not what happened when you went to get your MDiv. Maybe at an undergraduate level, there's instructors telling you what things mean and, and what they are. You need a little bit of corralling at that point. But by the time you get to a graduate level, no one's telling you what it means. They're teaching you how to study, how to learn, and then you need to find your answers and defend them well. And it's not just what the Bible says. There's a lot more to an MDiv. Uh, Judah, go ahead and bring it up. Yeah, I went to Asbury that has a monster MDiv. I had 120 credit hours in my MDiv. This is like three master's degrees that goes into this. The lower ones are around 75 now. I mean, this is, this is a lot, and it's not just what the Bible says. So if the elders can understand what really went into that education, I, I think we assume. I know I've done that in some. I, I assume you know what an MDiv is. But if I could sit down, or better yet, someone else sits down, so it doesn't sound like, oh, she's just defending herself. Whatever. 
By the way, I'm in a good situation. I'm using this as an example, so I'm not pointing people out, but let's pretend it's not a good situation. If someone else could kind of advocate that space, say, well, you know there's more to an MDiv. They're learning how to read the Bible, various hermeneutical approaches. And they're learning languages, so they can do those hard word studies. In pastoral, I had to take two courses in pastoral counseling. And you know what those courses taught me? I'm not a counselor. <laughs> and, but is that not the most important lesson? Because how many elders or, or people without that have thought they were a counselor because they never took the course to learn they're not a counselor and have caused incredible harm, right? Worship, sacraments. Have you ever heard an elder give a communion meditation and you're sitting there going, I didn't know he was a Lutheran. This is, this is consubstantiation, and he doesn't even know it. Like, I don't, he doesn't know what he's saying. And, and it's fine, and, you know, nobody knows, but what if we could give some theology to our sacraments to really be on the same page about what we believe is happening at the table and who comes to the table and why and bring unity into that and have these conversations about it. Preaching and teaching, even a class on what a sermon is, I, had a, I was at a church one time, and every time an elder was on the rotation to speak, and I'm saying speak instead of preach, because it was a, a book summary, a chapter summary of who moved the cheese, or who moved my cheese. Remember that self-help book? Yeah, it was whatever chapter he'd read, and it was a book summary of that. That was his sermon. It's not a sermon. Soapboxes are not a sermon. Book reports are not a sermon. Just the basics. This is what a sermon is, and this is how to preach one. Many of our elders teach classes because elders should teach. And sometimes they're reading their notes and there's so much wisdom and goodness in it. But what if they could take a class or two on how to pre or teach rather in a more formative way right, for the congregation? And here's the leadership, conflict resolution, family systems versus <coughs> corporate systems stuff. You study that when you're in your MDiv conflict resolution, how to communicate with each other, how to change systems. And ecclesiology, just that big fancy word of the study of church. What is church? Some of our elders were born and raised in that town, and they may, I, I've met elders who've never worshipped in a church outside of a church of Christ. Not once in their life. There's only so much divine imagination that can flow when you've never seen anything else. But ecclesiology, what can church be? How, what, what is the Bible telling us the uncompromisable principles of church are? And how can we imagine that in a new future connected to our local community? Your minister probably took courses in this. And for me, the assignments that I had in those courses were in the context of the community. So I'm living it out. It's not just writing a hypothetical paper. 120 hours. So if the elders can really respect what happened there when that minister went to school, and, and if it's a youth minister or an executive minister, I mean, you have the same depth of content just in different areas. That would really go a long way to respect the other persons, what, what they're bringing to the table. The letters behind your name aren't everything, but it's something. It can really help. Uh, Judah, go ahead. And if that can happen, then we can enter into this humble submission to one another, living out in Ephesians 5, 21 situation. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And I've been in a church at one point where it seemed like, yes, this applies to everyone but the elders. Right? The church, you all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the elders aren't supposed to submit to the church because what happens if we do that? What do they lose? Control. Their, their power, the control, or even the authority. I mean, they're, they're thinking, I'm trying to do the biblical thing where the authority of the church, how can I be the authority and submit to the members of the church? And I think what that's really about is a misunderstanding of authority. And trying to take this, the, this corporate understanding and transplant it into a church, and we have misunderstandings about what authority even means. But if the elders can submit, as the church is submitting, as the ministers are submitting to one another, depending upon where the gifting is, well, now we can be working together. Judah, go ahead. Because authority does not equal control or power. It really doesn't. And, and that leads, okay, so what, is, what does it look like? What's it look like? And if we can see the elders, if elder boards can, can come to this change of culture, change of heart posture, where authority is no longer control or power, but authority is the source of Christ-likeness. Like this watershed, this, this source of Christ-likeness among the people. Well, then they're not surrendering their authority by submitting to those who may have a different gift than they do, or experience, or schooling. Right. Go ahead, Judah. How do we do that? Go ahead. It's that culture change where humility is a true virtue. Being truly humble and submitting to another's gifting does not mean surrendering your authority. Judah, go ahead. And also by having a mature pneumatology that is in practice in the church. Big seminary word, pneumatology, is the study of the spirit. Right. Okay. This is another thing kind of unique to our heritage in, in the churches of Christ. So much better now than it was, but way back in the day, we had that word-only doctrine, didn't we? Where you know the Holy Spirit is located in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is working and moving through the written word. Many weren't believing there was an indwelling spirit. Even as recently as the late 90s, I was raising funds uh, with, with my husband to go be a missionary in Japan. And we reached out to his, my mother-in-law, his mother's church. And the elders called, and that was their question. Your fundraising letter sounds like you believe the Holy Spirit indwells <coughs> people. And I said, yeah, I do believe that. Oh, I'm sorry, we cannot give you money because the Holy Spirit only moves and works within the written word. But that changed, didn't it? From, if we're at Pepperdine. So this has changed in your churches anyway here. Uh, people wrote books. People did studies. And, and we now believe that the Spirit indwells people. However, it was a great cognitive shift. But our practice in our churches didn't necessarily change. Yeah, we believe the Spirit indwells people. But it's still the same people doing all the stuff. We haven't fully changed that in our practice, even though we have changed it in our belief. So if we can have a mature pneumatology that is fully in practice in the church, where the Spirit of God is working through all people as the Spirit has gifted all people, whether elders or ministers or members, well, then we can have this mutual submission and nobody's authority is threatened. We don't feel like we have to hold on to this control anymore because our authority, shared authority, 
is a spirit of God. It's not in any one person or group of people anyway. And we fully get that. It's hard to believe that when you don't see it in practice. It's hard to believe it when you don't hear other people preaching or other people teaching or other people starting ministries, even outside the church walls. And, and you can witness, whoa, look what God did. I had no idea. Right? And your ministers can see, whoa, they don't have a lick of theological studies and look what God did through that person. They need that humility as well. It goes both ways. But if there's a mature pneumatology in practice, not just, oh yeah, we don't believe that, but in practice in the church, it's so much easier to change that culture, to humbly submit to one another in a greater unity. Okay, now we're going to talk about the easy solution. Judah, bring ministers onto the leadership board under your leadership team. Make your pulpit minister and elder. And that's a whole other class on qualifications, and I know that trips people up and, and all of that. But this is happening more and more often. Sherelle, that's the case in your congregation. Is anyone else in that situation where the pulpit minister is also an elder? Yeah. And I'm on our leadership team as well. I just want to say, um, I, I grew up that way. I've been in Church of Christ all my life. And that was, it wasn't uncommon. For this to be the situation? Right. Okay, or, great. Or the, um, well, it, it, it still has its problems either way. Absolutely. It's not, mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's uh, you're always, you're always going to have human issues, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, it wasn't until maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to, to our minister, Brian, and he was saying, no, you know, that that's, it's not as common as what yeah. you think. And now you're talking about it, and I'm like, Oh, I thought that always existed. So I guess it, but you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt. Uh -huh. And so it's a different, uh, uh, I guess, thinking about it or a different practice, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it's very common in some areas. Good. Yeah, in some churches. Yeah, yeah, good. I hear it happening more and more mm -hmm. often. And it doesn't solve everything. I'm, I'm saying it's an easy solution. in the room where it happens, to quote Hamilton, right? They're in the back room. They're there, and everybody's got an equal vote at the table. It helps anyway. Yeah, back row. Um, that's what um, happened to, well, our pulpit minister left six months ago because that's what he wanted, and they said no. Oh. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so it's a raw situation it's very in your context. Very yeah. This tension, I mean, it leads to to firings and non-disclosure agreements. Yes. It leads to hurt feelings. Yes. It leads to, in the worst cases, it can lead to church division, if not splitting. It, it can lead to a lot of problems many of us have, have witnessed. Or it can be a beautiful relationship. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea, and I've seen it done well in some ministry friends. But like I'm a really young minister, right? Like I, I don't I don't think they're gonna buy that for me. So mm -hmm. what does that look like for me? Yeah, you, you need to go with option A or C that I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and it can and I think there is some ageism that creeps into this also when we have younger ministers. Um, something that I think is is really lovely in the Old Testament and in, in our scriptures there with the Old Testament with um, you're looking at Jeremiah and Isaiah, you know, and Isaiah is older, this older prophet, and God is speaking through him, and he's, 
He's talking about paths in the desert. And look at the new thing I'm doing. Isaiah is supposed to look ahead as this older person. And Jeremiah, this younger prophet. And what is, what is he told? The old paths. Right? So the younger is to look back, and the older is told to look ahead. And if we can see value in both of that and have, have the elders and the younger ministers together, like, hey, there's value going both directions. Um, apparently, this was a struggle back in the Iron Age as well. <laughs> how, how can you become a team if you're not invited to the table? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they at least need to be invited to the table, at least. Other, I mean, that wall, literal wall, becomes literal, metaphorical, physiological, spiritual. You know, we just cut out from the conversation. And I think appreciate <coughs> that first step of, of appreciating that schooling helps. Because I've hear I've heard it so many times, oh they were just brainwashed at school and told what the Bible says, but we read we know what the Bible says. And I think it's gotta come from somebody else saying it rather than the minister who's in the thick of that situation, saying, hey wait a minute, and then div isn't quite what you think it is. There's more here. I want to propose another, uh, hold on a second, Judah. Yeah, go ahead, Judah. I want to, I want to propose another one. Uh, level up the training. Maybe this will help. And this is going to sound so self-promoting. And I sometimes, at least for Enneagram 3s and people like me, it, it becomes self-promoting because I care about it that much. I got to solve the problem, so I create a solution, and that's what's happened. Okay, I care about this problem, and I care about the pain that it has caused people. And so, through my role at ACU Dallas, being an online world of ACU, which is an institution I think most of us trust, um, I have this undergraduate degree for ministers. And what was happening? I was having like 65-year-old Church of Christ preachers. It's one guy. He's, he's so fantastic. Howard is his name. African-American. He's probably 68, actually. Preacher. He's like, I never had a lick of theological education. And I've been preaching over 30 years. And it's time. So this sweet man signs up to get a bachelor's degree online in Christian service and formation, which is the degree for ministry. But because it's an undergraduate degree, he's got to take chemistry. He's got to take math too. Like, he's suffering. And my poor Howard, I'm like, oh no, like my social justice gear kicked into high drive. Like, my Howard is not going down because of chemistry when he's trying to get this training. This is not happening. So, what happened, because it's online, I had this structure already there. We have the coursework already there. And so, I created certificates. So, two of them. And I spoke with Carson Reed at the Cybert Institute, who is one of my uh, ministry mentors. And I was like, let's create the MDiv of certificates for this problem, to interrupt this problem. And they just went through council, and they're just kicking off my first students this next term. So I want to present a bit of that to you. And there's flyers for you. I am, you, you heard me. <laughs> I, maybe my name's not even on it. I'll feel better if my name's not on it. But as a solution, but I do also want to say Harding School of Theology has certificate program as well. It's not as extensive. I don't know if Lipscomb has a certificate program as well. Um, they're out there. They exist. This is two of them, and it was designed for the problem we're speaking about today. So it's the one I'm going to speak into. Uh, but if ACU's not your thing, check out HST, Lipscomb. That's, this is what this is for. 
Um, and though they're undergraduate level, for example, Charles Kaiser, you may tell, he just created one of the courses for me on contemporary ecclesiology. And it's amazing. I mean, it, it's probably the best course in my program. I love, what is church? What are fresh expressions of church? What can we not compromise on biblically? How can we do church differently? And all of the assignments placed in the community where you're serving, it's a fantastic course. So don't let the undergraduate thing get to you. They're quality, high-level courses. Okay, Judah, click. So this is what we did. Go ahead, babe. And just click all the way through. It's a column anyway. So the benefit is most of your elders can't move. And they may have PhDs and other things. So they don't want to go back and do that. But you don't have to move because it's all online. Most of it is asynchronous. There's options for synchronous if you want a one-on-one. -on -one, but they can do assignments after work. I, I grade papers at 5 AM. It, it works. Um, each certificate can be done in one year. And at ACU Dallas, our average age is 35. It was 36. It just dropped to 35. So they won't have that intimidation factor of being in classes with 19-year-olds only. Uh, there are many, many in, in my program who are in their 50s and 60s in the program. Uh, it's very, very diverse. Only about 20% are Church of Christ. That's healthy to hear from these other perspectives. Uh, the whole diversity wheel is represented. Yes? Who is taking this class? Who's, who's your typical person who's signing up? Um, if they're taking the certificates, they're put into the classes with the degree students. They're all in there together. Same exact coursework, except they don't have to take the gen ed stuff. They only have to take what they need to take for church leadership. That's the better side. Yeah. So they're in there together. So there's people um, in congregations. I have some wives of elders in there. There are some nonprofit, Christian nonprofit leaders in there, people who want to go into Christian therapy, but they're getting the undergraduate first. Uh, elders, it, it's a really wide variety of people who are in there. Um, my adjunct team is, is fantastic. They all are also in ministry at the same time, which helps. And it's a lot, 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 lot less money than a degree. ACU really got on board with it and said, you know what? We love this so much, we're going to pay a third of it. Done. So a third is knocked off right away. If the church gets behind that elder and says, we believe this is important, and they'll pay a third of it, then the church leader, the elder, is only on the hook for like $2,000, and that 2000 qualifies for financial aid because I, um, I got title for <coughs> approval for it. So if they're a veteran or any other financial aid, it could be free, potentially. It's a lot less than a degree. Or, yeah, a, a degree. Okay, Judah. But like I said, there's two of them because I couldn't fit it all into one. So <coughs> there's two. One of them is a foundation certificate, 16 credit hours. That's big for a certificate. But they don't have to take all the gen ed stuff. And like I said, they can do it in a year. You can get foundations in a year and practice in a year. So Judah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go all the way through those. What they'll get is intro to biblical interpretation. One is like historical criticism stuff, the basics. Biblical interpretation two. The textbook for that is Reading While Black by Esau McCulley. Um, it's how to interpret the Bible with other voices at the table, so you're hearing each other. Um, biblical studies, they pick one of those and they practice those types of biblical interpretation in the course they choose. Christian leadership, which is, this is different than the corporate world. This is context. And then they choose either spiritual formation or living the mission, uh, spiritual discipline practices, that, that spiritual undergirding that you need to sustain 
uh, ministry, even as an elder, right. especially as an elder. And then there's a, Jude, is there one more down there, babe? A capstone. Yeah, there's a capstone at the end where they identify a problem, a gap in the congregation, and they propose a solution from all this cor coursework to interrupt to help address that problem in the community. That one comes first, and then the praxis, Judah. This puts into practice those foundations. So gospel in a multicultural world, understanding diversity, uh, interpersonal communication from our communication department gets into conflict resolution, how to talk to each other, bringing other voices to the table, the essential piece of that that's necessary. Pastoral ministry, that course covers basics of preaching, the basics of sacraments, and the basics of pastoral counseling, which is essential. Teaching and learning for spiritual formation, um, contemporary ecclesiology, that's the course that Charles Kaiser just put together for me, and then a capstone where they identify a different problem and take that content material and apply it to the congregation to finish it off. Judah, go ahead. So how, what difference would it make if even just one or a handful of your elders was equipped like this to help level that gap, even if it's not ECU's program, right? What if it's Harding's or Lipscomb's or? What difference do you imagine that might make? What would be some effects of that? I, I think they start dreaming again. Oh. And like so much of dreaming right now and vision work has been delegated to, um, well, there's just been a, a fear of, of dreaming. And I think yes. imagination. I love that. Yeah, dreaming again. Mm -hmm. What else? Yeah. Just understanding. Right. Understanding, mm -hmm. uh, which opens up communication, which mm -hmm. kind of eliminates the fear. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there is more to preaching than just standing up there and spouting off some words, right? I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know these were dangers of pastoral counseling. Maybe I need to think twice. Again, I just didn't know. I didn't know there was more than one way to interpret scripture. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Also an understanding and respect for the education that the minister does have. Mm -hmm. We've done this snippet. Right then it starts to open your eyes to what that endive or that demon or mm -hmm. any of those other things actually entails. You know, what, mm -hmm. what, what would this look like if I had done even more? Three times more yeah. of this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And we, we have an elder that is going through the program at Hardy. Good. And so what I have noticed is um, it's like I have a teammate. Mm. I have a voice at the table with the, with the other, through him. I mean, right. I have a voice. Now you almost like you have an advocate. Yeah. And it's, it's been, it's been uh, huge for us. That's for so him to speak to up because mm -hmm. he's, he's going through all of this. Uh -huh. It's beautiful. That's a change of yeah, an advocate. I mean, that's a different relationship that has been fostered. Mm -hmm. right. I think um, one, you have people, leaders, who are being formed by theology which also means they realize, they start to realize, to say divorce and remarriage is not a simple black and white issue. Yeah. But being formed by theology rather than some <coughs> political ideology, mm -hmm. which I see happening more and more right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they, like anyone, are being formed Yes. by something. Yeah. That's a great point. 
Judah, I think that was my last slide. Did I have another? Okay, yeah. What what other solutions that may have worked in your context? Yeah. Well, I have a, just a question. I don't know sure. if you have any thoughts. So, yeah, I'm in a situation that I think is somewhat the opposite of a lot of people in the Church of Christ, where it feels like my eldership doesn't understand the power that they have, <laughs> the authority mm -hmm. that they have. It's almost like they're exercising too little of their authority. And, you know, it's difficult when... Uh, so I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, I think that the, the minister who was there before me um, had a very strong personality, and, and I love him greatly, but, but he, was, he was very much like a take charge. I'm fine with doing everything, being in charge of everything kind of guy. Um, and not only am I not like that, I don't think that's the healthiest for the congregation. Because then what happens is when he leaves, the congregation becomes very unstable. Okay. And I think, you know, COVID and the pandemic made them very wary about retention and wanting to appease people in order to keep them there. Mm -hmm. uh, not, necess not necessarily enforcing, you know, their personal preference for everything, but what they just think the majority of people want. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you go about, I guess, communicating to an eldership that it's okay <laughs> to change things or, or try new things or, mm -hmm. or do things, and that, that's kind of the role that the they've been to given to, okay. given by the congregation and by God to, mm -hmm. to be the leadership to mm -hmm. make those sorts of decisions. Yeah. Maybe talking <clears throat> to other leadership teams being related, things like Elderlink come to mind, mm. you know, if they're not going to do but under, Hey, other, other elders do different things. Maybe they do more. It's possible. It can be done. Because sometimes they just, they're not getting out. They, they're always, they only know that context. They only know that church. But to see how it's done in other places, the imagination comes in, right? And they're like, oh, maybe I should do some other things. And you're just going to have to do less. You're going to have to feel the, the tension of things not getting done. But that balance of not getting fired for doing less and doing less, so they step up and do more, which is ooh, that's, I don't want to. That's a tough dance. Yeah. Any other questions or help? Things that have worked in your context. I'm curious about elder selection. Like, is there a way? Because I mean, as you're working with your current eldership, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But then you have, as you bring on new elders, it's almost like you have to start at the beginning. Or how do you? bridge that gap between you've got people coming in with expectations based on what they saw growing up or mm -hmm. what they've seen in their churches. How do you bring people on in a healthy way or how do you select in a healthy way? <coughs> and I'm sure there's people who, I know Cheryl, you guys do a lot of this too, but there's a, a transition there that I think we skip. You're on the elder team and then you're off of it and somebody else comes on. But I think if we nurture that in between, so maybe you're on for a year as an elder in training, so there the, the culture of the team is contagious, is learned before it's just in and out. That's awkward and, and jumpy. So if there's a transition there, and I've seen in bylaws of churches where the elders have commitments of pursuing higher eds, sort sort of like CPU credits. You know, like hey, we're gonna take a course. We're gonna at least once a year we're gonna do this. We're gonna one of the team is gonna get. A certificate at one of our institutions so there's that expectation and they know what those expectations are before they sign up to do it but I think nurturing that in-between space is really helpful there yes um, Go ahead. 
I don't know if there was an impulse at the beginning of class of how many elders versus lay, lay people we mm -hmm. have in mm -hmm. the room, but assuming lay people, um, do you have any wisdom for, you know, in my context, I can see change. I, I mean, I could, I, could write, I could write that capstone thing. You know, <laughs> what I'm, the change I would love to see my kids, but my voice is not in that room where it happens. Um, any, any wisdom for specifically lay people how to encourage, promote health and change in, mm -hmm. in that room that we're not in? Yeah. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pray. And I don't mean that flippantly, but I mean, because that is a heart posture change that has to happen where the value, where the, the eldership values the gifting and the experience and the wisdom among them. They're either going to value that or they're not. And sometimes the more you, you put it in front of their face, the m more defensive they become. It, it makes the tension even worse. But praying for a softening of heart. Uh, when I was in that position, I was praying Nowen's Prayer of the Beloved. I don't know if you know that prayer. I was praying that daily for a couple of elders specifically. If you don't know Nowen's Prayer of the Beloved, it's just it's a breath prayer and you just pray you know, Christ you are the beloved and you visualize Christ and you pour all of your love onto Christ Christ you are the beloved until you're empty mm -hmm. and then Christ I am beloved and you pray that as a breath prayer Christ I am beloved until I feel that love 100% and then Christ elder so and so mm -hmm. is your beloved and you pray it until you mean it and I would have to pray at 45 minutes a night for an elder or two, specifically. But doing that, did the heart work for me? That's all I could focus on. Was my heart changing toward that person? And keep using the gifts I'd been given, trusting the fruit, these, these massive orchards in front of him would be seen, right, maybe, or not. Yeah. That's really all, you can't make people change, um, unfortunately. Um, but pointing things out, you know, a friendly email every now and again. Or, hey, you know this exists. I got a flyer for you. <laughs> you do as you can, but sometimes the defensiveness comes up and it's just hard. Yeah, we got time for a couple more. Well, that's what I think what you had mentioned up there, the interpersonal, the interpersonal communication skills. Mm -hmm. I think they're extremely important because, not to sound misogynistic, but men and women think differently and they look at things differently and when you have when you keep it separate and you know certain yeah. churches women can only go right thus far i think you're, you're taking out half the population and half the ideas and half the dreams mm -hmm. and half um you know of sometimes even support because yeah. um we might feel uh, lesser than yeah and so but I think just learning to communicate with people would break down. I think if people would communicate, obviously it would just you know, solve a lot of things in this world, period. Um, but just bringing it into your church, open communication, and learning how to communicate with other people who have not necessarily different beliefs, but who want to feel a part of the church as well. Yeah. You know, that we're a part of, we're 50% of the church. And valuing all diversity, the whole yeah. diversity wheel. I mean, that's in one of the courses. That you have to value this, because our elder boards are very homogenous, typically. What about the young? What about 
the Latino population in your church? What about the poor among you in your church? I mean, there's all types of diversity that can be harmed or excluded if they're not brought into the conversation. Yeah, really quick, back row. Yeah, ma'am, go ahead. I just want to share just a quick story. Uh, I'm a member of the San Leandro Church of Christ, and that's uh, in Northern California, across the bridge from uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And when you compare Churches of Christ, our, our, our reputation is that we're, quote, a progressive Church of Christ. I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, uh, it means you're an elder. <laughs> <laughs> But the journey uh -huh. is, is what I was, when you were talking, uh, it was very traditional. We lost a lot of people. When I first came to this to the congregation of worship, and now I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and I moved here. It was a very uh, traditional Church of Christ. We had like 300 people, and you know how stuff happens. People die, people move away. We were talking about women's mm -hmm. role. People didn't like it, da 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 da, -da. Well, then we were left with almost just a handful of people. Mm -hmm. And I think God in this infinite way forced us to learn one another. Yeah. It's not, you know, label didn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody needed to sweep the floor. Somebody that needed to do this and do that. Um, I had several uh, tragedies in, in, in my life and I was so glad that they were there for me. My son died. And, mm -hmm. They gathered around me. They learned about me. I learned about them. And so what I'm trying to say, we became a family yeah. more so than just a church. Corporation. Right, yeah. So that we got to know one another. Mm -hmm. I got to know our, you know, on first name basis. I didn't look at the elders then as OTC elder. Well, you know, that's, no, that's John. Yeah. I can ask John to do this, that, the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, that matters. So this past, um, Sunday, uh, I was added as one of the two women uh, to be elder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some people didn't like it, but the process was it was open communication. It didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I, we started off having a leadership team first. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a family right. decision. And, and you may can tell that, you know, I talk a lot, but. Uh, <laughs> but um, we all just talked to one another and, and dealt with the elephant in the room. Okay. We would love to help somebody young like me, but you know, you know, everybody's just, but I know that, that this is unique for our congregation. Yeah. If we don't nourish it and keep it going, it'll be gone. Not yeah. There's it's a lot of wisdom in that. Thank you for that. Well, we are out of time, so thank you all for being here. There are uh, flyers for this. And Caleb, hold your hand up. He's got some if you don't want to walk all the way to the front and then I'll send them out for you. Um, but if you want one of those, come get them. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it.